Hello and welcome to the TES podcast. My name is Elna Busby and today I'm joined by Helena Mass. Hello. Hello. Will Hazel. Hello. Hello. Eddie Bloom. Hello. Hello. And Ed Doral. Hello. 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 Well, this week we've got a jam-packed issue, um, mainly about pay and sex, which yeah. makes the world go round. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with the first story... And Amanda Spielman. Yes, and Amanda Spielman, <laughs> let's not forget her. Um, the first story today um, is about pay. Uh, Will, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, so lots of people have been saying for some time that they think the pay gap between classroom teachers and uh, leadership positions has been increasing. Um, we wanted to sort of actually analyse that and see if we could, um, you know, substantiate it. So um, we crunched... Um, salary figures for teachers um, in 2000 um, and in 2015 and we found that the the gap had increased so in 2000 the average salary of classroom teachers was 64% of head teacher salaries mm -hmm. and 15 years later it had declined to only 51% oh, of gosh. the average head teacher salary right okay and um, is that particularly bad? Is it is it different between secondaries and primaries? Or it's those um, those that sort of headline figure of fifty one percent kind of hides quite a lot of variation. Mm -hmm. So there's a bigger gap in the secondary sector, right? Um, and there's a bigger gap in academies that compared to um, local authority maintained schools. Mm -hmm. So I mean, just uh, sort of reading. Um, the, the the differences out in uh, in the different sectors um, in secondary academies um, classroom teachers earn thirty eight percent of what heads earn and right. that's the biggest gap um, in the maintained sector in um, secondaries it's forty two percent um, and the gap in primaries is is kind of smaller than, than both of those figures and why do they think there's that difference so the unions and the, the teaching unions point the finger at increasing f uh, pay flexibility, mm -hmm. um, the abolition of pay scales a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, they also identify um, academisation, um, firstly the kind of the increasing flexibility which academies have to determine um, the, the pay um, of staff mm -hmm. um, and obviously this is kind of borne out by the figures which shows that the gap's bigger. Um, in academy schools, but also just the um, the emergence of multi academy trusts as well. So yeah. we've now got um, executive heads who are responsible for a number of different schools, mm -hmm. um, and that just simply wasn't the case in in two thousand. Sure. I mean, to be clear, um, he says taking the opinion of the TES. Now, if you're looking at a head who's running, or an executive head who's running ten, fifteen schools, if they were all secondaries, that's uh, a turnover of 80, 90 million quid, mm. um, whatever you're talking about, 10,000, 15,000 pupils, staff of 1,300, no, probably a lot more, 2,000, you know, you're talking about big numbers and big responsibility, and actually the salaries aren't very big. If you can compare and contrast that with the NHS, you compare and contrast that with the private sector, mm -hmm. um, you know, for the weight of responsibility, I would argue that the salaries are still perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. There are, within another story in this week's magazine, some fairly stark uh, figures about increases of um, executive head teacher pay, yeah. including one head who, uh, who jumped 100 grand in a year 
which is, uh, should we say, eye-watering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, as a kind of philosophy, I think w we stand squarely with the remuneration being perfectly reasonable for responsibility. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, with these ac academy heads that are kind of, yeah, pay rises of up to 100K, do you think that... Do you think what do you think the profession would think about that kind of pay rises when they're struggling to get you know just one percent sometimes for teachers? Yeah, but there, there, there is obviously that issue. Isn't there? There's the issue with there's been a pay freeze or or artificially constrained pay for a lot of teachers for what you all know as long as what has been mm. seven eight years yeah, something like that yeah. since around the time of the um, economic crash. Uh, and also, and Helen might have some thoughts on this. There is a part of the profession which still thinks that they do it for, you know, correctly obviously, do it for the goodness and wonder of teaching. And in fact, high pay somehow contaminates that, the purity of, of the role. Mm. And it's something a bit grubby about being paid big bucks to be in teaching. I think that probably most teachers would say they don't do it for all the money. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, costs for everything else are increasing and teachers do still need to be able to pay their mortgages, pay yeah. their bills um, and when they're putting in the amount of hours they put in I think it's reasonable for them to expect that their salaries would increase in line with, with those the above them. Least, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it would be awful if those people are driven out of a profession that they love because they're not being paid enough and that actually would, would do it for the love of it yeah. but also need to eat and live. Yeah. Especially for younger teachers in London, they're the ones that are really struggling to be able to put a deposit down even for renting and, and buying. Yeah. You know. and, and, and then to be comparing yourself presumably with the, uh, with mm. the, with the boss with the big office yeah. 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 and hearing about such eye-watering salaries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting what impact it has on staff morale. Yes. Indeed, especially in January when there isn't much money going around. So. <laughs> or indeed morale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, moving swiftly on, there's a lot of good stories on school leadership this week, so make sure to check them out. Um, a couple on the fact that the pool of candidates for headship is shrinking with uh, deputy and assistant roles um, being squeezed. Um, but then we should move on to the other woman of the week, uh, Amanda Spielman. Uh, so, Adi, you had an interview with her. Can you tell yes. us a bit more about it? Um, she was, it was, her, it's her first week or her second week. I met her on Monday and it was her second week in the job. So mm -hmm. she really is very new to it. And she's very guarded. She made it very clear, not quite explicitly, that she was not going to be of the Michael Wilshaw style of... Shoot from the hip. Yes. <laughs> um she was very much, I will look at the evidence, and I asked her a lot of questions, and she said, I haven't had a chance to look at the evidence yet. I don't know what Ofsted's position is on this. And I would push her to say, but what about your position? And she said again, I don't want to use this role to sound off about my own thoughts. This mm -hmm. is about me speaking on behalf of Ofsted. Mm -hmm. So it will be a very different um, lead sort of leadership style from her predecessors. Yeah. And talking about what you were saying about workload, mm -hmm. um, she says she doesn't want to be part of the workload problem, is that the Yes, issue? she said that the problem is that if she does express any kind of opinion just off the cuff, that then trickles down into schools where head teachers say, to, you need to be doing this, Ofsted wants you to do this, show me proof that you're doing this. And suddenly teachers' workload increases massively when all she's done is say that was a nice wall display or whatever else and that gets interpreted into Ofsted says that we must have you know ever-changing wall displays yeah yeah sure did you get a feel for what her kind of priorities will be in her new role 
largely at the moment she just seemed to say listening she wanted she she wants to spend a lot of time talking to people in the profession and looking at the evidence and talking to inspectors and she was very clear that she's going to be data driven and evidence driven and sort of analytical in her approach she was unashamedly geeky that makes sense yes (laughs) yes no she was very much sort of most people wouldn't don't enjoy sitting around with bunches of data and 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 analyzing data this is fun for me (laughs) (laughs) she couldn't be more different really than uh, michael warshaw in that way i don't imagine um michael particularly enjoyed doing a nice spreadsheet um but and here's the but i'm interesting to know whether you could got any inkling on it um you know the role projects the holder of it into this national uh, position mm-hmm. and I think very few people over its years have managed to resist um, the lure of the limelight and the sense that you say something and people click their heels mm. um, not least of all uh, Michael Wilshaw but you know Chris Woodhead before him and Tom mm-hmm. Linson and many of the others mm-hmm. um, almost household names do you think I know Amanda quite well I don't know what the answer is do you think she'll be able to resist it? She said that education has always been her passion and that ever since she was at primary school, she said her, her parents used to order, used, used to get some obscure education publication every week, to which I said, was that the TES? And she said... We're not obscure, of course. No, of course we're not, no, no. Um, but it wasn't the TES because we're not obscure. So <laughs> it was all all right. Um, and she said she used to read that every week and education was always something that fascinated her. And that since then, she's, she's says, sort of thrilled to be able to influence the national education debate and to be a part of the national picture. And from that point of view, coming at it, if that's what she always wanted, is to be able to influence national debate about education. Will she resist? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, yeah, that is exactly what she's now able to do. Interesting, isn't it? It will be interesting to see whether she speaks out more as time goes on. Yeah. She will. They all she do. will. They always <laughs> Can't resist do. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so moving on to our features section. Uh, the whole of this section is about sex, is that it right? Is, so let's yes. talk about sex. Maybe. <laughs> we've got we've got a, a sex ed special issue this uh, this week, and uh, very good it is too. Um, there's been a lot of talk about whether uh, SRE is going to become compulsory uh, in in all schools at all stages, and um, uh, we have looked at what that might look like mm-hmm. um, if it were to happen. Um, you know, what would an SRE curriculum look like, a new SRE curriculum, and what are some of the the issues that are connected to that. Um, so we've we've got a main feature at the mo- uh, in this issue about what teachers can learn from sex education on the internet. Um, there's plenty of bloggers out there who are giving sex advice. That does sound incredibly low. It sounds yes. incredibly <laughs> What can incredibly you learn about dangerous. sex from the internet? Um, Why don't you type <laughs> sex into Google and see? But we we started from the the point of view that if if students and young people feel that they aren't getting the sex education that they need in school. Google is obviously the place they're going to turn for the answers. Um, and there are YouTubers out there um, giving actually really good advice. Um, and it's what teachers can learn from that, um, whether it's just about being a bit more open um, and sort of drawing on um, you know, more contemporary themes and, and things that are going to um, engage the students. Um, we've also got a piece about uh, why teachers should t- teach about consent. 
um, why you need to have parents on board um, and how to support um, people who, or young girls who get um, pregnant while they're at school. Well, that's great. Okay. Well, it sounds like an interesting read. Um, and next week, we've got an EdTech special ahead of BET. Um, so don't miss that. Uh, so that leaves me to say thank you to everyone. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Adi. And thank you, Ed. Um, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And make sure you tune in next week. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.